Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College. Its annual Summer Institute for Educators takes place June 25th through 27th. Registration is now open at landmark.edu lcsi. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to the MindShift Podcast, where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Katrina Schwartz. And I'm Ki Sung. Katrina, earlier this year, we were talking about a story that generated a lot of buzz on our social media feeds. That's right. And it wasn't an education topic. It was actually a little bit untraditional. Yeah, it was about play, but specifically a school that set aside a day of play instead of doing schoolwork. Interesting. I bet parents were not so sure about that. Yeah. I mean, some parents thought, well, that's what weekends are for. Weekends are for play. Some people were actually into it. Hmm. I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah. It's a pretty unusual thing. There's a school called Hall Middle School. It's right outside of San Francisco in Marin County. And I went there to find out what one day of school play looks like. So what does it look like? What I noticed when I drove to this community was it was beautiful. I mean, it was bucolic, clearly an affluent community, and these families have resources. So a lot of these kids have lots of extracurricular activities. And what these kids don't have a lot of, it turns out, is free time. Uh, I just want to play you some tape of how these kids spend their after school. A lot of people have sports practices. They have to, like, drive to those and drive back and then eat dinner and then go to bed so they don't have anything else to do. Even if you have time, your friends are usually not free. I do sports, then I have homework, and then I eat dinner and go to bed. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much my life. I went to bed at 11.30 yesterday. Kids are busy. They don't have time to do nothing. So here at Hall Middle School, a small group of passionate teachers have done something about it. It's called Global School Play Day, and it's become a global movement. Half a million kids do it once a year. When I first heard about this, it was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. Like, why would a school use class time for play? All right. Thank you, boys. Can you please find your, find your seats and get your writer's notebooks out? It turns out I wasn't the only one who was confused about that. When I walked into Kath Irving's sixth grade English class, I caught her explaining the concept to her kids, preparing them for the next day's playtime agenda. Tomorrow we are going to be participating in doing Global School Play Day. And to my surprise, the kids didn't burst with excitement. Instead, they seemed a little confused. They had questions. I don't understand. Like, don't we come to school to learn? Um, why is it that we don't go outside as much as like my parents did? Like, oh. as children. I think that's like technology. Did you hear that last kid? He said, "Why is it that we don't go outside as much as my parents did as children?" This makes me feel really old. But it turns out the kind of free play so many of us had back when we were kids is really a relic of the past. 
Hearing these kids made me think back to my own childhood as a latchkey kid. I had tons of time with nothing to do but roam my suburban Los Angeles neighborhood on foot, play with my friends in their apartment complexes, and buy candy and nachos from the 7-Eleven. Being busy with organized sports and enrichment looked kind of great, but that wasn't a priority for my parents. The following morning, Global School Play Day dawned over Hall Middle School, a sunny, nearly cloudless day, perfect for whatever trouble the kids could get into. Let's go over Play Day. In Miss Irving's class, it took a minute for the kids to warm up. But soon enough, they were playing games like apples to apples and sorry. Miss Irving started making paper chain garlands and other kids joined in. A couple of boys went outside to fly paper airplanes. Some self-possessed kids stayed at their desks reading books. That's okay. And a few kids were goofing off on a chair, pushing each other and tipping the chair over. On any other day, these kids would probably get sent to the office. <sighs> they threw me down, picked me up, started swinging me. They didn't drop me hardly. They placed me down, and then I grabbed their foot, and they tripped and started running. Ms. Irving, who I suspect is a master of the important teacher ability to see everything that goes on in her classroom, didn't seem to care. Instead, she went on stapling the chains of the garland and didn't interfere with anyone's horseplay. But that didn't mean her class turned into a free-for-all. Throwing things in class is not okay. She had to make me sit down for five minutes, but I'm gonna get up now because I don't care. I'm just gonna get up. He was sent back to his seat by Miss Irving. Nearby in Mr. Wattenpool's math class, kids were playing follow the leader. <laughs> and just beyond his class, kids were doing flips on their scooters during what would normally be science class. And some girls were super excited about face painting. The kids got to paint a school administrator, which they loved. And even the vice principal got makeup. Yeah, and oh, yeah, Miss Brown. Miss Brown, she really wanted In the face of all this chaos, I might have expected to find Principal Eric Sable walkie-talkie in hand calling for reinforcements. Instead, he was all smiles. He'd been tweeting about this event for months. For him, it's the best day of the school year. In fact, he's a co-founder of Global School Play Day. He says, there's a logic to the chaos. Play is a part of learning. It's not separate from it. And that schools are a wonderful place for children to experience play in a social setting. Um, depending on the neighborhood you live in, you might not necessarily have a lot of kids around you. Sable grew up in the Bay Area competing in sports teams and loving the outdoors. He started his career teaching at a high school where the social norms are different than middle school. So that was the first fall that I was here at the middle school as an assistant principal after 16 years of working in high school. And, and you know, and I think that it really started to dawn on me just how powerful the biological imperative is 
for children to play. Global School Play Day would never have happened if Sable hadn't met two brothers on Twitter, Tim and Scott Bedley, teachers who live and work in Southern California. The brothers had noticed that their students' lives seemed out of balance. They came up with the idea of a day devoted to play. The three educators shared a mutual devotion to their guru, Peter Gray, a Boston College professor who has spent his career pleading with adults to get out of their kids' way so they can have a childhood. Here's a clip from his TED Talk. Play is nature's means of ensuring that young mammals, including young human beings, acquire the skills that they need to acquire to develop successfully into adulthood. Getting along with other people, being empathetic, being creative. Still not sold on the value of play? Allow me to share an intriguing bit of research with you. It doesn't have human children in it, but it does have rats. Young rats. Bear with me. Play is a feature of the human experience. It's all over the animal kingdom too. For decades, researchers have been studying the effect of play on animal brain development. In 2002, there was a well-known experiment on two groups of young rats. One group was allowed to play, play, play with their friends 24 hours a day. And then there was another group of rats who were more of the loners. They were raised in isolation. Then both groups of young rats were introduced to a third colony of rats that already had an established pecking order, alpha male and all. The researchers quickly observed a vast difference in the social skills between the groups. The rats that had been allowed to play quickly figured out how to avoid the alpha male's wrath by crouching down and staying still. But the rats that didn't get to play had trouble fitting in. They couldn't read the social cues and they moved around the cage in a way that made them a target for attacks from older rats. Poor little rats. The bottom line, young rats need free play with other young rats to become well-adjusted adult rats. Now, rats are different from human children, but Peter Gray has used these studies to contend that this is what's happening to our human kids with all the academics and extracurriculars piled onto them. Play, by definition, is self-controlled and self-directed. It's the self-directed aspect of play that gives it its educative power. They're not getting the time to play freely with each other. The view that children learn best everything from adults, that children's own self-directed activities with other children are wastes of time. We don't often say it that way, but that's the implicit understanding that underlies so much of our policy with regard to children. So childhood has turned from a time of freedom to a time of resume building. Now, as someone who grew up unsupervised without after-school enrichment, this kind of research feels counterintuitive. I never thought there would be an upside to being a latchkey kid. Playing with other kids, wandering around the neighborhood without supervision, didn't feel like anything more than the byproduct of having working parents. But unstructured play, for some educators, isn't just about raising better adults. It may also be about saving lives. Stay with us.
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to the MindShift Podcast. I'm Ki Sung. To get a deeper understanding of why there's so much support for a better balanced life here at Hall Middle School, you have to know a bit of the darker subtext of the community. About five miles away is Tamil Pius High School. In 2006 and 2007, when Eric Sable was a Spanish teacher, two students from that school committed suicide. And it wasn't confined to that school. There was another pair of suicides in a neighboring community. Here's Sable. Two of them were my students. Mm-hmm. One was a graduate and one was uh, a mid-year, mid-year suicide. So, um, uh, and then the other two children were not my students. But, um, you know, at a school of 11, 1,200 students, you know, it, it, it feels very personal, regardless of if you know the child or not. More than a decade after their deaths, he still thinks about them deeply. I don't know, I feel a responsibility in part. I feel bad that I haven't reached out to those families subsequently to just tell them that I think about them, that their kids are still a part of my DNA as a, as a person and as a professional. It's, it's for me very much, you know, unresolved. It's unresolved. And, and it's also, too, a burden that we do carry around as educators, certainly as a principal, where um, when every day starts, you understand and know that you need to keep 520 students safe. Teachers across the nation are really concerned about student mental health. I hear this from them all the time. Fortunately, schools are trying to help kids develop better coping skills. And on this day, play is a part of the solution. Um, This is probably my favorite day of the year. When I met social studies teacher Nathan Beach back at Hall Middle School, he was wearing a Global School Playday shirt. And um, I'm a big supporter of this whole idea of getting kids to kind of take a break in their busy lives. And it's a break for me, too. It's just a lot of fun. He was tweeting photos of his kids assembling puzzles, playing apples to apples, and an epic game of Jenga. There goes Jenga! Like Sable, he has witnessed students struggling with mental health, both as a fellow student in Palo Alto in the 1990s and later on as a teacher in that community. Once I became a teacher, I really started to see it. 
Um, I grew up in Palo Alto, and there was a couple of different suicide clusters in the high schools there um, after I was a student, but um, I did teach in the district um, during one of those clusters. And so it's just something that has been growing in my awareness, um, but especially since I became an educator. When Beach was earning his master's degree in education, he made it his focus to study mental health in school. As part of his master's project, he had students take inventory of their feelings every day for six weeks to see what he could do to help. Answering questions, I feel stressed, I feel calm, I am worried, I am happy, those kinds of things. What he learned was that kids are most stressed on Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays because that's when everybody assigns work for the week, and then Thursdays because they have to finish everything because it's all due on Friday. Um, just kind of exploring the data opened my eyes and, and, and really helped me figure out ways I can tweak my own um, classroom procedures and, and the way I assign work and everything to kind of reduce that as much as I can. Back at the playground at Hall Middle School with Eric Sable, I noticed something that seemed off to me. Kids didn't have cell phones. They weren't hunched over, alone, together. Not only is Global School Playday analog and not digital, they took away their phones. What's been really beautiful is that uh, I think it really gives the kids a sense of liberation that they don't have to check their phone for the hundred messages that they need to respond to. And the upside of that, according to Principal Eric Sable, is that kids play every day at recess. Like here, uh, on this field of play, um, experience time together. If all these kids had open access to their telephones, I guarantee you this would look a lot different. At Hall Middle School, Global School Play Day is working out well for one day. But educators here know that one day of play can only do so much for kids who might feel stress, especially from something like grades. So this school year, they have taken the bold step of getting rid of A through F letter grades. Kids at this public school will, of course, be assessed according to state standards. But instead of points and letter grades, the teacher will write a detailed report. If learning is what matters, um, instead of the scores, then we need to make sure we're showing the kids that. Um, we need to de-escalate the rat race um, to take as many AP classes as humanly or inhumanly possible um, to look as best as you can for some so-called uh, elite school. This is a huge cultural effort that we all have to undertake. As a parent myself, it's hard for me to not sign my kids up for a dizzying number of activities. There's so much cool stuff to do out there. And if, like me, you grew up without those things, it might be that much harder to restrain yourself. But what we're hearing from teachers and researchers is, let kids be kids, with other kids. It's good for the kids to play with one another, unstructured. And it's good for parents. It's even good for rats. But it's going to take some adjustment. For Emily Hitchcock, a student in Ms. Irving's class, even taking a moment to stop working to play takes getting used to. Usually we didn't work so much that I just want to keep on doing my work to get it finished. Global School Play Day was like a big pause button for everyone's busy life. And it took some adjustment for Emily. But listen carefully and you'll hear her talk about a brighter time in her childhood, 
a time in her life when she felt more able to play. Playing is so much fun. I feel like nowadays, like we just completely get swept away with the internet and like we don't have the time to play. We don't play as much as we used to. And I feel like this gives us the opportunity to you know, like kind of be a child again. To be a child again. Emily is 12. You know, keep listening to this, it's just so interesting that play is so fundamental to a kid's development. It's like letting them be kids. Yeah, Katrina. I mean, as a parent, it's so easy to fall into the trap of wanting to do so much for your kids. So that's why it's good to be reminded to give it a rest. Yeah, and actually, speaking of parents, I bet getting buy-in for this from parents and teachers wasn't easy. For sure. Buy-in is important for any new initiative. So if you're looking for more information, check out globalschoolplayday.com to find out how to organize your community around this day of play that happens every February. And if you don't want to miss anything from MindShift, please go to your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen and subscribe. And then while you're there, leave us a review. Maybe give us some stars. Anything like that really helps other people find the show. MindShift is produced by me, Ki Sung, and Katrina Schwartz. Our editor is Julia Scott. Seth Samuel is our sound designer. Julie Kane is our head of podcasts. Ethan Lindsay is executive editor for news. And Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. Special thanks to Jennifer Gonzalez at Cult of Pedagogy and Tim and Scott Bedley of Global School Playday. And a big thanks to Eric Sable, Kath Irving, Nathan Beach, Doug Wattenpool, Emily Hitchcock, and all the students at Hall Middle School for showing us how much fun play can be. MindShift is a production of KQED News in San Francisco. On the next episode of the MindShift podcast, Katrina's taking on a really sensitive topic in education right now, how to teach kids about race, power, and privilege. She takes us to a first grade class where one teacher says six-year-olds are not too young to understand this stuff. You can talk about anything with kids. You can make anything accessible, no matter how uncomfortable or atrocious it may seem. Subscribe so you can be sure to not miss it. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.